Hi, how's it going, everybody? And welcome to the Debutify podcast, the premier e-commerce podcast brought to you by Debutify. I'm your host, Alex Bond, and joining me today is the CEO and founder of Debutify himself, Ricky Hayes. On today's episode, we'll talk about the inception of Debutify, how to properly scale a brand, what makes a good team, the value of feedback, and much more. Here's our interview now. Ricky, welcome to the show. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, extremely happy to have you. So now in your own words, instead of mine, tell us a bit about Debutify from your perspective. Yeah, so Debutify is now just over a year old, basically really growing quite well. We're a software company that provides a theme for e-commerce businesses around the world. We also provide a review app as well as email marketing. We're sort of developing all that. We're a software company that we aim to try and help small, medium enterprise businesses sort of support and grow their business. That's great. And we'll definitely talk about the review app a little later on. How did the idea for Debutify come about? Uh, if I'm honest with you, prior prior to Debutify, I was a, I was a YouTuber, and I was I was into e-commerce myself. I did both dropshipping and uh, then transitioned to branded, building proper brands. And I was doing YouTube. And my actual background before I went into my entrepreneur ways was I was in the IT industry. I was um, an IT nerd, as they would say. I've always loved technology. I've just, it's been my thing. I've loved technology. And the more I sort of got into e-commerce, the more my heart was never 100% into building an e-commerce brand as opposed to building an e-commerce software brand. And uh, I've always just enjoyed software and the benefits it can add to people. So basically, that's where it came into it. My passion's always been software automation and helping people use those tools to help structure and systemize their business. So with the first product, our theme, that came from the fact that Every e-commerce brand needs needs a theme and one of the hardest things people have is website development and the time and the cost involved. So making a theme that can sort of help combine all of that and streamline it a lot for business owners to save them time, headache and money was sort of where the inspiration really came from. No, that's great. Uh, I think that makes a lot of sense. And on a different podcast, you mentioned that you started off in drop shipping. Now, now I, I do personally know that that you were in, I had an IT background, so I'm interested how kind of drop shipping led to where that kind of came in your journey. If I'm honest with you, drop shipping was like the sort of first step for me where- gotcha. um, it was more, I didn't really understand the entire industry hugely. And dropshipping was a, it's a very low risk model to sort of start entering the space and learning the required skills of, of marketing, of your store, of getting customers, customer service. And so it was basically sort of a low risk model because I didn't explicably know what type of product or or niche I wanted to enter. So dropshipping sort of gave me that flexibility to sort of go out there, learn, fail and, and adapt so that's sort of where I started in dropshipping. No, cool. That, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. That way you learn a lot about such a large industry kind of quickly cut your teeth a little bit. So one of the goals in, in Debutify is to essentially create high conversion in, in the theme and the way that it's ability to be customizable. So what are some of the ways that you and Debutify ensure that e-commerce brands are able to build a high converting store when they use Debutify? First and foremost, it's all about sort of understanding what the, the baseline of what businesses need to help improve the conversions. Things like uh, sticky add to cart is so very important when, especially on mobile, it's so important. So when someone's scrolling your product page that they can actually click the add to cart button and sort of move further down that funnel 
and sort of help supporting it in a sort of more passive way was really, really important. We sort of do a lot of research on sort of what a lot of other large established brands are doing and sort of derive inspiration from them and then use that and uh, collect data from our current users on what's working for them and then try and help improve our product to sort of support other customers improving their conversion rates as well. I like the idea of the, the sticky ad to cart because I don't know how many times I've been on something and you have to press the product, press add to cart, it just feels like there are too many added steps in there. So how can brands leverage some of the tools that Debutify has to offer to their full potential? The main add-ons that we find that work quite well is sort of definitely for stars, sort of the sticky add to cart really sort of helps leverage the fact that most of the time we should always be optimizing the website for mobile. Most consumers now are buying through mobile device and through desktop. You know, it's probably like, I think the statistics is about 95% of users are uh, mobile users so really important that's why we optimize that's crazy yeah so that's why we really optimize it to make sure it's optimized for mobile using as i said add-ons like sticky add to cart the announcement bar are really important ones that we find for for brand owners and then also your trust badges really sort of help build that trust and authenticity of your brand we also find as well like on your cart page having sort of the reminders sort of the little pop-up reminders to sort of help people because they sort of get they get a little bit confused or lost on, on cart pages a lot so we really try and work a lot on the cart page to make it as simple and streamlined as possible. So we definitely recommend at least uh, for all our customers, the announcement part and the sticky add to cart at the bare minimum, and then really focusing on making sure the add-ons look really nice and that in the preview for mobile version rather than desktop. We see a lot of people focusing a lot more on their desktop previews, but whenever you're doing the preview, we always recommend to always look at it on a mobile, sorry, mobile preview to make sure that it's really sort of well-optimized for your customers as well. And using the product tab, is really important because then it reduces the length of the page as well and makes it more clear and defined. So instead of having one long product description, you can have multiple tabs where let's say it has the product description, the shipping and delivery and the FAQs for that said product work quite well. No, that's great. I think those are great recommendations. One of the things that you have been a big proponent of is, is scaling You know, at a decently consistent rate, right? So how do you build a successful team when scaling an e-commerce business? Like, what are some of the qualities that you look for in a team? That's an excellent question. I love that one. So, you know, for me, when when scaling your brand, really important that, you know, you focus on culture, focus on the right people. I mean, it's um, one thing to obviously hire someone to work in your business. It's another thing to have someone that really sort of helps elevate your business. So to me, the way I always looked at it is I look at people that are not afraid to, to question your decisions. I always like people that question your decisions, you know, as the leader of the business doesn't mean you know every answer of the business, right? You know, no one ever knows anything. So whenever I'm looking for people, I'm actually always looking for more their personality than just their core skill set. I find a lot of people focus very much on um, someone's skill set more so than their personality. I'm a firm believer that it's someone with the right personality can learn any skill. It's just a matter of their ambition and intention to do so. So I always look at people that are always happy to, you know, sort of question you. They're very honest and authentic. People all make mistakes, myself included. I don't think mistakes are a bad thing. I think mistakes are a great thing. It's a great way to learn and evolve as a person. Uh, I think what comes from uh, that is people that are willing to wear mistakes, so to speak, or be honest about the fact that they're going to make mistakes and they're not perfect. I look for people like that all the time because those people really 
um, are people you can trust and depend on and work closely with who's going to help also bring up a lot of the the flaws that you may have, they will also they will fix those gaps. So I'm always looking for people like that that actually sort of help accommodate the flaws that I have. And you know, you're you're touching on something that I find extremely valuable as well. Is is my mom always said, never just bring up a problem. You know, it's it's so much more valuable to bring up a problem and at least like a half baked solution. There's something about bringing up a problem and saying, here's how we could try to fix it that I think is extremely uh, valuable in, in a team and, and members and, and leaders, of course. And just, just to kind of follow up, internally, you are a big proponent of, of feedback, both positive and negative, as you, as you kind of just mentioned. So why is accepting negative feedback? You kind of touched on why it's so important to you, but maybe as a follow-up, why do you think it's, it's a difficult practice for other companies to kind of emphasize and embrace? Well, frankly, I think in other, my perspective in other companies, people just don't want to hear the facts, if I'm honest, that, that they're not perfect, so to speak. I'll probably be a little bit harsh there, I guess. But I think other people don't want to hear the fact that no one can know everything, right? I've always sort of looked at it like, you know, no one knows everything, no one ever will. And that's just sort of the reality of life. And so the way I look at it is embracing negative feedback is actually, if you turn it around, it's actually embracing opportunity to me. I look at it as it's embracing opportunity. You know, no leader, including myself, is ever perfect. I make many mistakes. You know, embracing the negative feedback that come from those mistakes actually help you evaluate what you can do better next time and how you can be better as a person next time as well. So that's sort of how I look at it. And I think that in my perspective and from my experience in other companies, other people, the reality is that tackling a negative negative feedback presents a negative emotion, right? It can be painful, it can hurt. And so understandably, not everyone can handle it all the same. Personally, how I handle it is I love to know my flaws. I love to know all my problems and, and always look at how I can incrementally improve myself. I guess the way I've always looked at it is I might not be able to, um, from negative feedback, be able to entirely fix the problem overnight, but I can at least understand what the problem is and try and work towards improving myself towards. That's how I handle it personally. Yeah, it's at least that step towards like reflection, you know? And yeah, correct. Yeah. I, I think a lot of people, as you're mentioning, come from like a defensive position. We're, we're almost in, innately feel like we're being attacked when someone's saying, here was something I think we can do better. I think that's really insightful. Just to kind of circle back to scaling a little bit, I'm, I'm interested in what you think the biggest challenges that you or other people face when, when scaling a business? Yeah, I mean, that's an excellent question. To me, I would say two parts collectively from a high level view. One is the people in your business. Like I always look at it, that the people are the best and the worst part of your business. <laughs> and, uh, like if you have if you have the best people that you work well with, it's an amazing business. If you have a business of people that aren't enthusiastic or um, listening or willing to adapt with the business, then it becomes a very stale business. So I'm very passionate about finding the right people in the business because culture is so important. So. That to me is so important because that helps with scaling because people will find new opportunities, new ways of marketing. And then that leads to the other part, which is sort of the marketing and, and profit margins of your business. You know, the reality is business is a very challenging thing. Revenue does not dictate profit. Retaining profitability in a very tough economic environment that we're in now with all the economic shifts that the world is going through is very challenging. So um, always trying to in my eyes, be very proactive about your finance and doing projections and try and really sort of stay on top of it so you're always cash flow friendly. I'm always trying to do everything I can to make sure that cash flow is 
first and foremost because there's always unexpected left and right turns in a business that you can never control. But the one thing you can control is cash flow and making sure you've got extra surplus there to buffer the inevitable mistakes that will that happen in business or the unexpected sort of twists and turns that, that come out of nowhere. So to me, it's always having right people, a great culture, and always managing sort of profit margins as you're sort of growing your business in my eyes. And I think that makes a lot of sense. You know, what, what I'm hearing you say is anyone who's taken a business class probably knows, and that's the most money that you spend on anything is on labor. So what a lot of the guests that we've had on the show, I've heard them say and, and, and seen them essentially say that the biggest problems they've seen is kind of like people trying to scale too quickly, where they essentially yeah. see the money coming in, right? And they say, all right, I need to hire 20 employees. And then the money dries up. Now they have to fire 20 employees and kind of the culture that that can then create, it can become like a, a sticky affiliation a little bit. Is that I, something that has, yeah, please. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, please. I absolutely agree. Look, I'll be honest with you. You know, like I, uh, I'm i a very reserved and conservative person by nature. And that partly comes from the fact that I do have a bit of anxiety. And part of that is the fact that to me, when you see the dollar figures, uh, that's a fantastic thing. Everyone wants to grow and scale their business. And I think that's a phenomenally excellent thing to really achieve your aspiration. But one thing I've always learned is reality has a funny way of giving you a slap in the face that it never seems to work that way. What The way I've sort of always uh, approached it is when scaling is the best way that seems to be the rock solid way that always works is slow and steady wins the race. I know in business, a lot of people want to very much grow and grow rapidly. That's every person's aspirations realistically. But um, like you said as well, that puts then a lot of strain on as you sort of your bottom line, your cash, your cash flow. And there's nothing worse than then having to let go of these employees that you've employed, indoctrinated and brought into your business that are adding so much value. It really, it, it, it's horrible and no one. So I prefer the approach of a more methodical approach where I take it very slow and steady to make sure that at the end of the day, the business is always protected, but also that staff have reliable steady income that can help support them and their families. I totally agree. Honestly, in, in this little notes doc, I, I said the scaling at a consistent rate is important to you, you know, is, is that as, as much as I've understood, consistency is is part of that slow and steady process of, in, in most successful businesses, you know, uh, a lot of them that are those big brands have a great identity, a lot of um, brand affinity with with customers and clients. It's created over time, not overnight, because that overnight success can be as much of a detriment as much as it is great for a company. Um, I'll be I'm honest with you. Please. I couldn't, I don't think I could handle overnight success to be too stressful for me. <laughs> I actually prefer the sort of long-term approach. It sort of sets well with me more um, where you're sort of making those incremental improvements and you're able to handle the day-to-day -day without being overwhelmed. I don't know how people could handle overnight success. It would just overwhelm me too much personally. I totally agree. I, I think that wave of emotion, I mean, frankly, it's it's growing pains. That's all that is, is the overnight successes can create a lot of growing pains and a lot of stress and, and added anxiety. I'm, I'm interested in what sort of advice you, you can offer to other entrepreneurs who are struggling with appropriately scaling their e-commerce business. Is it as simple as try to be consistent? To me, yeah, like you, you sort of hit the nail on the head there. Like the first step is consistency. Like I look at it that, to me, I would look at, I want to look at sort of three months of consistent and steady growth. Mm like in, in revenue, you don't want to sort of scale sort of too heavy in terms of because it'll put too much stress on the bottom line. I've worked, you know, working with a lot of brand owners, you see that while their revenue
revenue is increasing, their margins are decreasing. So they're actually getting more stressed. So one thing I always sort of say is focus more on average order value and lifetime value than you do in terms of new customers and that revenue because the average order value and lifetime value combined uh, means that you don't have to do as much marketing, means that you have customers who are more loyal to your business who are going to spend more, and it actually increases your margin. So first, because the first thing I always see most e-commerce brand owners consistently getting very stressed and, and anxious about is, is their bank balance, right? And so focusing on your existing customers and really trying to amplify their experience, whether it's like a custom thank you card, emails, custom packaging, all of that to increase your uh, and sorry, obviously your product as well, um, your average order value and your lifetime value, I see consistently there's a strong correlation that the businesses that do that not only make more revenue long-term in terms of growth, but they're actually a lot less stressed because they have customers they can depend on. The businesses that are always trying to get new customers through the door as their primary focus are the ones that are the most stressed because they are then the ones usually spending a lot more on things like paid marketing channels or marketing mediums, like influencer marketing as an example. And they're a lot more stressed because they're trying to always buy new customers when the cost per purchase to get a new customer because it's so competitive is so high, whereas those who try and focus more on repeat customers are a lot less stressed because those customers cost next to nothing and they will spend a lot more. So that's sort of, uh, I know I'm sort of getting a bit too businessy there. but yeah, That's great. So that's sort of one of the things. The other thing I'm very much that help, personally helps me uh, a lot with my day-to-day is, you know, is the fact that um, I'm very big on structure. Um, I believe in, in business, especially even with a couple of employees, structure is so important to build from the, the ground up. And um, and what I mean by that is processes, procedures, and and investing in systems like, you know, we use like ClickUp that um, sort of help support a lot of structure. I see most businesses just using, you know, just email or, or live, or they're just like doing a little live chat with their team and group chat. While that works, it's not really sustainable because the day-to-day you forget so many things using tools that can sort of help mitigate the fact that the day-to-day can be so hectic i see so many business owners that they're they're so busy between um ordering products getting them to their warehouse fulfilling them i was speaking to one just the other day you know up until two o'clock in the morning every day and has two kids and you know a partner it's just absolutely insane and she even told me she was extremely stressed and, and understandably so, you know, that's a lot on anyone's plate. So for me, it really comes to, to structure. And by focusing more on repeat customers as well, for me, as well as average order value, invest that money. Don't look at trying to make, one of the big things I always say is, I look at not trying to take profit from the business. I obviously support your day-to-day personally, but I'm a big advocate in reinvesting as much as possible into your business, whether that's hiring staff, investing in systems to help with structure, because then you can sort of collectively step back. The goal in my eyes of any business owner that's trying to grow is not one person can ever do anything. It's physically impossible. So investing in having staff that help support you when great staff that are that are working within your business can make such a big difference to you being able to step back slow and steady over time and reduce some of that stress on you. Because so many business owners I see as well, like uh, they have so much on their plate. What happens when they inevitably get sick, unwell, they might be uh, suffering from burnout, then everything's reliant on him or her. And then as a result, the business doesn't function. So one of the other biggest things I see that people make the mistake of is not investing in 
in, in more try to make potentially less money themselves and put it more towards other people so they can have, in my eyes, a bit more of uh, work-life balance. And and I think you're touching on something very interesting with, with that customer retention and, and the value that that can have is, is being able to create a base audience, essentially. I, I was talking with our guest yesterday. I think it was Jessica who who is essentially we were talking about acquisition versus retention and which one is essentially more important. You know, if if I sell mattresses or cars, retention's going to be a little harder than acquisition, you know, because I don't know when the last time you bought a mattress is, but it's probably got to be every decade yeah. or something like that. So, yeah. not only is customer retention pretty much out the door, but all of your energy has to go into into acquisition. Is is that I don't know. I'm wondering what what your thoughts are in terms of like what if my company is literally unable in its business model to retain customers. A hundred percent. Then you focus on it. Look, obviously, as you said, it is very circumstantial based on the industry that you're in. If you're we're using the example of the mattress or car industry, the thing I would be doing is upselling the hell out of them. Um, I would be focusing. I'd be completely abolishing retention. Well, even in like the car industry, which is a bit different, you know, this is where you see businesses as an example, especially in the car industry, selling um, yearly subscription type thing for car maintenance, as an example, or they do, like that's an excellent thing. So by identifying that, let's say in some industries that you have lower retention, what you try and do, what I would do is I would focus on average order value. And so that average order value would mean, what can I do to upsell? Okay, it's like with a car where you might have a standard version of a car and then you have a premium version of the car. And then you can, um, or um, additional extras. Uh, again, I'm not a car person. <laughs> but the, um, And so what I would very much do, if I know that my retention rate's low, I would look at what things can I do during that one sale where they're actually going to commit that actually to try and increase my average order value. And that's why you'll see, for instance, in the car and mattress, they'll do upsells of, hey, maybe this mattress, we can add this extra or um, uh, we can add a three-year warranty for an extra X amount of money, okay? So that, that way it sort of gets a bit of that longevity of that customer um, because they're more loyalty business because it means if there's an issue, they will come back to you as well rather than going to another business because they come to you. Um, and at the same time helps mitigate that issue of the fact that you don't have that retention or that lifetime value as much as uh, other business models may have. I love it. I think that makes a lot of sense. So talking about Debutify Reviews, you've been working on this project for, for a minute now. Can you tell us just, just a brief bit about that, a quick summary about what, what, what that is? I'll start with the fact that like, you know, at the end of the day, that was inspired from the fact that, you know, we have a theme and, and nearly everyone that has a theme nowadays wants, you know, reviews. And um, it's so important for UGC, user-generated content, and uh, reviews for authenticity because reviews now is, from what I'm reading analytically, it's one of the highest converting factors that gets anyone to buy from your business because the reality is that there are so many businesses probably selling the same product or type of product that you're selling. It's the things about the authenticity and the reviews about your business that really that no one else can take from you, right? That That is so important. So we really wanted to make a, the theme so that people that are using the theme can also use the review app so that then they have the combination of both. 
and focus very much on transparency and authenticity within that app to sort of really help foster their own great brand and sort of support their brand there. So that's sort of where that was really inspired from. Did I miss the second part of that question, pardon me? No, no, not at all. I I was just wanted to be educated and and get our audience educated a little bit about it. And and I totally understand the value of it. When you look at um, a company like, I don't know, eBay, Yelp, Amazon reviews are essentially really they're selling products. Sure, Yelp is a little different, but that the reviews is the foundation of that, and and the power of word of mouth advertising is something that is a little bit more. I think increasing in value the more competition there is. I, I totally agree with that. I'll be honest with you. Like, sorry to interrupt. Um, no, would be like you know if I were to, I buy regular things off Amazon myself. Uh-huh. I love it and. I'll be honest, I look at probably the reviews. I look at the pictures of the of the product like that I'm interested in. And then the first thing I look at is the reviews before I even look at the product description for me because I just want to sort of verify in my eyes that this is a product because there's, you know, so many different similar products or people selling a similar product. The first thing I look for is, okay, is, is this actual product that this vendor or business is selling, um, do they provide good service? Do they provide good shipping times? You know, all of those things I look for before I even think, okay, well, I'm going to look in the description and see if this product's actually for me. So that's why for me I think reviews are so important and that's why you'll see nearly every sort of e-commerce um, business now really focus on that sort of reviews because that that's what really gets customers hyped up about that set product. Sure. I, I totally get that. So in terms of e-commerce businesses, you kind of talked about why they're so important, but how can they be properly integrated to actually lead to an increase in revenue for an e-commerce brand? Well, basically sort of it can be like, you know, it's at the end of the day, you know, we have a number of widgets and those widgets can be used in sort of different ways on your website, like as a pop-up on, or as a, a side option where it sort of shows all the reviews um, obviously, there's the reviews per page, basically integrated so that in many areas of your website, the reviews are sort of there, not sort of spamming it in their face, but in terms of having it on a minimum on your product page, as well as preferably, I find the sidebar where people can see your collective reviews across all your sort of products is really important because people very much like go to your homepage will want to have a look at that and sort of see, oh, yeah, okay, well, they, this business is selling all these products and they're getting all these reviews. All right, I'll have a look further. So I very much look at, at those two things work extremely well to help business owners sort of support increased conversions on their business. And, and I see them a lot, you know, when, when I'm doing research on guests, for the show, most every website that I look at has at least probably on each page, at the very least, a pull quote from a client that they worked with of, you know, yeah. Ricky Hayes, CEO of, of Debutify, of just like a very quick pull quote and other ones that are, as you mentioned, user-generated videos. Why is getting reviews so difficult for e-commerce businesses? Is it is it really as simple as the time and effort it takes from a customer or client or why, why is that so difficult? I love that question. So what I find statistically, because I'm, I like to be statistical, but there are, is you know, if you look at it, mo- most of the reviews on any business, you're probably looking at maximum of 10% of the, like, so the reviews you see on, let's say some product, let's say it has 10 reviews, you can sort of times it by 10 and you've actually sort of gotten the basis that it's actually been 100 purchases. Statistically, even like big companies like Amazon, eBay, all of that, only 10% of people tops every review. Now, that's just simply because, uh, uh, frankly, there's a lot of reasons. One, most people in their day-to-day lives are very busy. Two, they'll probably see the email and just forget about it, delete, you know, sort of type thing. And sort of three, a lot of people, 
as well don't feel comfortable giving reviews. So that's why you only see sort of about collectively over the bigger picture about 10%. And that's why it's so hard to sort of get reviews where because you need to get a lot of consistent orders to then sort of get 10 reviews. Like you need to get 100 orders to get even sort of 10 reviews. And if you have 30 different products, well, there you go, you know, and let's say you get one for each, only um, 10 of your 30 products got one review each. So it's a very long-term and sort of uh, difficult process because you need to have a lot of consistency of a volume of, of actual sales for those to then get that approximate 10% of reviews over the long term. No, I think that makes a lot of sense. Anecdotally, I go to a, a little deli that's like a block away. And um, the guy asked me, I go there at least twice a week. And the guy asked me, you know, hey, if you if, if you get the chance, leave us a review on, on Google or something like that. I was like, absolutely, will do. And I totally forgot about it until just now. And I probably <laughs> went there like a week ago. And I wasn't actively like saying yes and, and going to get to it later. But, you know, again, anecdotally, I just totally got distracted. And I don't Life know. Gets in the way. Totally. Do, do you think, I don't know. I was just thinking this in, in my head just now, honestly, was for me personally, I was thinking, is my money not enough for you? <laughs> like in a, in a really weird, selfish way. It's like, so is it is it my responsibility as a con- customer to try to generate revenue for you and your business isn't that kind of like your job a little bit you know well i mean yeah like that's a very valid point at the end of the day it's not your business and it's not your responsibility is it so and it's perfectly fine obviously to feel that way the way i guess i I look at it is is that i more look at it that by getting reviews and authentic reviews whether it's good or bad you know there's always there's not always going to be perfect reviews is that you want others to not potentially get burnt because unfortunately like out there if you look at the other side there is a lot of businesses that take advantage of customers and don't provide them him or her a good experience whether it's long shipping times the product quality isn't good the customer service isn't good so by providing reviews to businesses what you're actually doing is you're helping others to potentially not potentially get burnt so that they're also having a good experience in their buying experience the way I look at it is it's not just about Obviously, it does help the business owner to some extent, obviously, potentially grow or scale their business. But at the same time, it's also promoting good business practice. I'm a big uh, advocate in the fact that if a good business has good business practice and supporting their community or their industry really well, I think that um, getting authentic, genuine reviews sort of helping promote them actually uplifts the industry as a whole. Oh, great. Uh, That makes me feel better. What are some of the trends that you see for digital marketing through the rest of the year? and beyond really because digital marketing if we're just because i'm a very technical person so if we're to talk specifically sort of paid ads seeing more and more of a trend away from paid ads paid ads is obviously growing but in terms of especially small business paid ads for for acquiring new customers is incredibly expensive because of how competitive it is okay it's it's still very good but it's very expensive. What I'm seeing more trend towards is more organic channels for paid advertising. So organic being things like search engine optimization, SEO, influencer marketing, affiliate marketing, as an example. Email marketing is a, is a huge one as well. For um, So basically, these are channels where it takes a lot longer to sort of set these channels up and get them sort of, quote unquote, working to a 
uh, a high degree, but especially for things like SEO, affiliate or referral marketing, a lot of people refer to it as um, sort of a referrer friend approach are very much what I'm seeing the trend going towards because it's a lot more affordable and it's a lot more consistent and sustainable for businesses. We're seeing now paid ads is is too much, I guess, like, you know, it's, if you look at like a graph, it's like constantly up and down. There's so much shifts, whereas these other channels might not get as fast as scalability, but they have a lot more longevity and profitability. So, and business owners now, because of the crunch in the fact that all the economic shifts, they're looking for profitability first. And so these channels is what we're seeing a lot more of, including, you know, as I said, like, uh, YouTube videos, as an example. Oh, sorry, I forgot to mention as well. Sorry, um, social media, organic social media content. Like I see a lot of brands now. Um, a huge part of their revenue comes from social media content, whether it's on Instagram posting stories or reels is now the big one, as well as TikTok and also vet videos on YouTube. Basically, it's that idea of giving value back to the community without expecting anything back. And funnily enough, the world ends up rewarding you by giving the, the business owner value back anyway. That's great. Involving new technology right into a business can be challenging, as you probably know well yourself. And especially as that technology involves, evolves, how it's implemented needs to evolve as well. How do you make sure that you're using the right technology at the right time? Well, that's a tough one. <laughs> I like that question. I'm going to be very vague here, very different, obviously, per business. But the way I sort of look at it is, yeah, as you said, sort of evolving with the times is so important. It would really sort of come down to at the time where you're sort of evaluating where your business is at. Like in terms of firstly, I would always look at it, but okay, where is my business at? How much extra cash do I have to go and spend on on a new venture? If you If you don't have much additional cash, I would not be investing heavily in new technologies. While obviously it makes sense, it can put too much strain on you. Sometimes it's one of those things that the right place at the right time. What I would generally try and recommend, oh, I'm sorry, I'm being quite vague. I feel kind of embarrassed about it. Is more always, I guess, this, the simple way, this makes a lot more sense down to me, is start small. Always start very small in terms of don't look at the, the best software potentially in the market. Usually that might be the most expensive. Usually now there's a lot of competitors out there that might not do 100% of what this one might do, but it'll do most of what you need. And as your business grows, you don't have to stick with that said solution. You can always evolve. So to me, what I look at is always identifying where the markets are going and then identify where the market's going and identify where you're sitting in the market in terms of your business revenue, your profits. And then um, always, I always like to have some money towards R&D, so research and development. And you don't always have to go to the to the highest level of whatever that that technology or solution is. You can always start very simple, and then over the long term, look at maybe a, a better solution. Right. So that way, at the end of the day, you're slowly phasing into these new trends of technology while not putting too much strain on your profit margins is sort of how I look at it. But it's always, as you sort of were getting at as well, really important that you're always trying to adapt with the, the changing environment that we're in um, and always trying new technologies. Um, one of the things I personally see quite a lot is people not wanting to try new technologies because of the, the anxiety it might bring or the, new, the additional stress. But unfortunately, that is one of the also things in businesses that you have to sort of accept that's part of businesses. It's that business forces you to evolve at times as well. I think that's totally valid. And look, I think there's some some technologies that people involve 
when they don't even really need to, or they're trying to, because it's trendy, you know, the obvious proliferation of artificial intelligence tools and skills. I think people like the idea of AI and trying to use it to some sort of effect when frankly, I don't really see the connection to, to the business model sometimes, you know, where it's like, we have this new AI thing just so we can promote that we have this new AI thing, even though it doesn't really make sense in the business. Maybe I'm wrong in that sort of thinking, but I think there is a fad-ishness to it. I would agree. Look, I, I think to me, AI, I think it's still very, it's a very new technology, sort of how I look at it. I think that AI is definitely going to be here for the long term, and I can definitely see that long term, it will continually improve. In, term, in terms of, I guess, sort of what we're saying right now, it is very much a, a big sort of fad that everyone's jumping on because it's just sort of the, the, the latest trends, one could say. Um, but I'm also a big advocate for the sort of old-fashioned ways at times still uh, work very, very, very well. And th- at the end of the day, no machine can ever replace a human. No matter how good the tool will ever be, uh, no machine can ever replace the sort of human mind. So I always look at it with AI, it's about phasing into it. This sort of my approach into it is, is that slowly using it. Like, you know, we use ChatGPT to help us a little bit with potentially like our, our blogs uh, to an extent, but we always still have a human that does most of it and sort of get a tool like ChatGPT as an example to sort of help sort of see the gaps and stuff. But um, I I would always say to people, don't be 100% relying on AI. Um, I would always say have a dose of scepticism and slowly sort of embrace it. But I'm um, as you said, like I'm feeling that a lot of businesses are sort of more oh, AI, everything, I can automate everything in the business. Well, no, unfortunately, it's not going to work that way. Yeah. I totally see that. What is, in your opinion, the idea, the ideal skill set that an e-commerce CEO should possess? And, and to frame it, you know, a little more personally, what, what are some of like your goals and, and responsibilities as a CEO? If I were to sum it up in one word, and I, I guess I'm not, I'm, I'm saying this because I guess I look at it as it's the same in every type of business, regardless of business model. Persistence, determination, I guess, um, would be the words. You have to be very determined. Right. The, the number one thing I would always say to people is you have to have unwavering determination or persistence um, uh, because it's really hard. Like, you know, the, the struggles of the day to day between balancing work, life, you know, maybe getting some sleep a bit more actively, things like all of that is very challenging. You know, to, to me, I, um, the hardest thing I find that most people struggle with is consistently doing the same things. Um, and and at times in business, as the business owner, you can't just avoid like all of these important things to your business or oh, about, you know, speaking to your accountant about, you know, your, your taxes and all of that. You know, you, these things are so important. Um, what I guess I'm trying to, I guess, collectively say is to be in business, and obviously this is for e-commerce brand owners, but I would probably say just in general, the most important thing is to have a lot of persistence and and then adding to that, always having a sort of a growth mindset in the fact that you always have to adapt and evolve. Like business will never be the same today as it was yesterday. It always changes. And so you always have to be looking at new opportunities on how you can improve and evolve. One of the things that's helped me personally to, I guess, stay relevant and also sort of succeed is the fact that I'm constantly evaluating myself, okay? Not just evaluating my strengths, but very much actually I more evaluate my weaknesses, 
um, that by evaluating my weaknesses, I can work on solutions to mitigate those weaknesses. So to me, I would say very much uh, sort of that I look at it on a more personality basis than skill basis because, you know, you have to be very persistent and very determined to sort of make your business succeed, not just now, not just in a month, not just in three months, not in six months, over the long term, over many years, because there's going to be many, many shortfalls and those shortfalls can be honestly quite depressing. It can be quite stressful, depressing, and you have to have a very strong mindset to be able to push through those challenging times and still come through the other end. That's the one thing that I would say that is, for me, the most important thing. Our last question, Ricky, before we wrap up, I always ask our guests this exact same last final question, essentially revolving around how e-commerce entrepreneurs, business owners, professionals are operating pretty consistently on call. I mean, you kind of went over the stress and amount of responsibility that that people in this industry have. Stable mental health, healthy work-life harmony is extremely important in that determination, persistence, um, sanity, frankly. So I'm interested for you, Ricky, what hobbies or interests you pursue in your free time to ensure a healthy work-life balance? Well, I'm a, I'm a bit of a, like I said before, I, I do embrace the fact that I'm a bit of a nerd. You know, like for me, from being in the IT days, I originally started out as a gamer and I'm still a gamer. So for me, uh, very much things that I do is I like to try and play just some single player games on the console. Or, uh, for me, obviously, you know, uh, very important things is to sort of spend time with, with my family and try and relax there a bit. It, it is, look, I'm not going to die. Uh, I struggle with that, that sort of. It's easy to say that oh, I'm going to disconnect, but it's very hard to switch your mind just off like a, a light switch. But those are the th- sort of things I do. I also go for walks. I um, I personally go to to gym just to try and do a workout. Um, and one of the other things I do is I just sometimes just like to sort of listen to some music. I'll just listen to some music and try and just lie back a bit. And um, oh, and I should say, sorry, I do read. But it's sort of a bit counterproductive, the reading, I'll be honest, because I read business books. So I don't know if that's really switching my mind off, but we'll count um, it. <laughs> yeah, okay, we'll we'll count it. But so I um I try and sort of do some reading as well. I try and do that collectively for uh, or between the, most of those activities, my day to day activities, for about an hour to an hour and a half a day, and that's sort of enough to sort of give you me personally a bit of that sort of work life balance and sort of enjoy a bit of my private time as well. Great, Ricky, we really appreciate having you on. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much. I'd like to thank my guest, Ricky Hayes, for joining me on the show and tune in next time when I sit down with Matthew Holman, the co-founder and head of growth for QPilot. Matthew and I will talk about his proprietary software that helps brands build a revenue through subscriptions. For more information about Ricky, you can connect with him on LinkedIn. And to learn more about Debutify, you can check out the website, Debutify.com, follow the Instagram and Twitter at Debutify, or the Facebook and YouTube at Debutify Corp. That's our show. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you come back to listen to my conversation with Matthew Holman. Until then.